Hello everyone and welcome to the Banter Roundtable podcast. This is your host, Ben Cohen. And I'm Bob Seska. And I'm Justin Rosario. The Banter Roundtable podcast is brought to you by the Banter Newsletter. We rely on our generous subscribers to keep going, so please support us by signing up for a Banter membership today. You can get a 50% discount when you join the community and you'll get access to all our premium articles and locked archive. You will also be supporting independent, responsible media at a crucial time when our democracy is in peril. Your support is greatly appreciated. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 22 of the Banter Roundtable podcast. I want to say good morning to our audience and also, or whenever, good afternoon, if you're listening in the afternoon, or good evening. Uh, it's morning over here. It's Friday morning. Um, guys, how are you? So polite. Hey, how's it going? Oh, Hi, awesome. Ben. Yeah. I want to say I good try. morning to our audience, too. Good morning, audience. <laughs> I'm the good afternoon audience. Fun, good yeah. afternoon, audience. Yeah, so pleasant. It's such a pleasant way to start a show. <laughs> More podcasts need to start that way. Well, I could be like, hey, like everybody, fuck off. That would be... Um... <laughs> that would be my podcast. <laughs> I think if Chez had his own podcast, I always try to imagine what would happen if Chez yeah. had his own podcast. Uh, everybody, fuck it, off. It's like, yeah, hey, everybody, go kiss my ass. I'm hungover. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Wait, I haven't even introduced the show yet. Um, so anyway, we have a we have a great show for you today. We are going to be discussing the slap. Uh, we have to, obviously, huge news. Uh, it's, only, it's the only thing anyone can talk about this week, which I found quite relieving, actually, to be honest with you. Uh, I know, Justin, you might disagree with me there, but I find it quite relieving yeah. to not have to talk about the onset of World War Three. We're going to be talking about um, Clarence Thomas and his MAGA-supporting wife and how that could turn into quite a serious political scandal well it is already a political scandal and we're going to see what happens there we're going to discuss that russia's dramatic about turn in ukraine their complete changing of strategy uh our girl tulsi gabbard the russians are now uh, referring to tulsi gabbard as our girl we have our both side segment which is particularly insane this week i mean really insane In the members-only podcast today, I'm going to be doing my very first solo cast, going more in-depth into the Will Smith-Chris Rock train wreck. Uh, Specifically, I'll be discussing attempts by the political fringes to inject race into the public debate, why I think this is a terrible idea, and what I think the sad spectacle really means for society. Uh, This was actually quite a personal uh, solo cast, uh, given I'm a big fan of Will Smith and Chris Rock, so I do hope you'll tune in. So, uh, without further ado, um, let's get going. Uh, the Will Smith slap. Justin, I'm going to start with you. Your reaction to this, because you... <laughs> I'm going to start. The beatings will commence now. And we're starting with Justin. Starting with Justin. All oh, right. my God. Go on, then. Let rip. Let rip. I... Just tell me what you think. Like, I just want to know what you guys think, because I was pretty damn shocked by the whole thing. Um but I want to get your reaction. Uh, you know, I, I, seriously, I, I'm ser- I, my rea- I, my reaction was the closest to uh, Dan- Daniel Radcliffe's was, I don't care. I know, I know everyone's been jumping up and down and screaming about this for days. And I was just like, eh, okay. 
that happened. And I don't care. I've been trying so hard not to pay attention to it because I don't care. And I don't want to care. I've been watching people freak out about this and say, like, I mean, I know we're going to get into it into the members only section, but people have been, like, doing all sorts of crazy hot takes on it. And it's just been like, wow. Wow. I I envy envy, um, your dispassionate response to that because... I didn't like Bob. We'll get to you. We'll talk about yours in in, in a second. But okay. yeah, I was, <laughs> I was, um, yeah, I was shocked. I was really shocked. I got to say, I don't watch the Oscars. I don't care about the Oscars. I've I haven't cared about the Oscars for years. I lived in LA. I got sick to death of celebrity culture, and the Oscars to me is just another sort of uh, you know celebrity circle joke where they congratulate each other. For it's like a room full of immensely rich people, <laughs> immensely rich and famous, successful people congratulating each other. Um, and I just, I've never really cared about the Oscars, right? I do like Will Smith though, and I do like Chris Rock. You know, I've always, I can't help but like Will Smith. I think, you know, his whole kind of, he's got a bit weird recently, right, with the whole Scientology thing, and and like he he he's kind of got this sort of messianic, um kind of personality now where I think he's sort of he's clearly he's got a bit of the Kanye about him I think um to some degree you know he seems to be he's been slightly more unhinged I feel in recent years but I can't help but like do that (laughs) yes right exactly like I know I mean you know I I met so a friend of mine I think dated someone who dated Will Smith's brother I think that's the story uh, and from what I can gather from her, her story was that the family is pretty screwed up and celebrity has kind of like screwed them up. So, you know, but whatever. I like the guy. I follow her on Instagram. think he's funny. I love the, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I grew up watching that amazing show. And it was pretty unsettling to watch him do that. And he did it in front of, you know, he's the entire planet where he slapped Chris Rock, who's, you know, I want to add, he's 50, the guy's 57 years old. Chris Rock is 57. And he's half Will Smith's size. That's not cool. Like, I was pretty shocked. Um, at first, I didn't really know how to react to it because it was so crazy. Uh, but, yeah, I was kind of saddened by the whole thing, really. It was just, I feel like, pretty upsetting, really, to watch that, to watch, like, someone who I like kind of flip out like that just have a complete meltdown mm. um and also you know look i get that people take the oscars seriously and there are all these other people who won oscars and had like you know this is the pinnacle of their careers and no one cares anymore like what does anybody know about like does anybody do you know any of the other oscar winners is anyone talking about that no one's talking nope. about any of it like like he yeah. like he wrecked it for everyone like for for himself for chris rock uh, and for everybody else at the Oscars, like he ruined the night for, and I think it was just very sad to see someone like, I feel nothing but sort of, it's just, I feel the whole thing is depressing because it, it was just watching someone have a clear kind of mental breakdown on television in front of everybody. And I find that to be, I found it to be depressing. Um, that was my, and it's assault, you know, like he assaulted someone like he, you don't do that. Like, that's not cool. Um, but um, anyway, Bob, what did how how did you feel about the whole thing? You know, I 
I've been very um, agnostic about the whole situation. And, and I mean, discussing the whole situation. Because on one hand, there are many voices on social media whose opinions I respect quite a bit who are saying that this is a matter for the black community to adjudicate. And I, I'm totally in support of that. That's fine. If, if, that's, if these are the parameters of this particular discussion, I'm 100% fine with that. Uh, that being said, the incident itself, let's take the names of the people uh, out of this entirely, the location of where it happened at the Oscars, take that out entirely. Remove all the proper nouns from this entire discussion. What we're seeing here, or what we saw Sunday night at the Oscars, is something that we've been seeing almost every day on social media, in videos, uh, You know, whether it's on an air, airplane or in a department store or... Uh, during a, a, you know, a protest in the streets. You know, these are the sorts of things that are happening more and more often in the United States where instead of handling it through words, through the, the you know, methods of democracy and so on, instead, when we disagree with someone or we feel hurt by someone, we're lashing out physically at them. And this kind of actually connects to something we talked about last week on the show, which is the weaponization of slap suits. You know, you can take that into consideration as well. It's not a physical punch, but you're trying to ruin someone else's life by weaponizing the legal system with frivolous defamation suits. So no longer is it, uh, you know, acceptable to prove someone wrong or to debunk what they're saying or to, you know, win the shovel fight on Twitter. It's now about uh, exacting revenge, making the other side hurt. <laughs> There's some sort of physical attack. And it's very concerning to me insofar as those of us who participate in the political debate in this country, and, and, and we do this every day, we do it as our career. Uh, my concern is that career path is going to become increasingly treacherous for those of us who express our political opinions. And I'm not just I'm not talking about saying, OK, we shouldn't listen to that person anymore because they said something awful. And so therefore we need to walk away. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about saying that person hurt me personally with their words. So I'm going to hurt them personally back with my fist or with my legal team. That's that's some whole new ball game we're talking about there. And you talk about silencing political opinions, irrespective of where they come from. That's well beyond, to me, the parameters of what we consider to be a civil society, a democratic society, uh, a society that's built on free speech. This is far beyond the... Uh, the, the realm of cancel culture. This is something else. I called it in, in the banter this week, I called it confrontation culture. Uh, I, I don't know. That's not, that's not my final term for it, but uh, something along those lines is what we're looking at here. And that's, that's what I saw on display at the Oscars. Just another event in a long series of events with Americans who are stressed out, who are frightened, who are angry, uh, who are discontented, disillusioned, 
uh, who feel entitled to lash out due to their list of grievances. And it's not a good place for us to be. And I hope at some point here that the pendulum does swing back. And I hope the pendulum is done swinging the other way. I hope this is the extreme point of it, but I don't think that it is. We had another school shooting yesterday where a couple of kids were shot by another kid and another 12 year old. This is the sort of thing that's happening all over the place and it's getting increasingly violent. And if, if there's anything we've learned by watching the war in Ukraine, is that it can happen here. <laughs> We're not, I mean, we are protected by oceans, but, you not know. from ourselves. We, we, exactly. We're talking about this increasingly popular notion of a civil war in this country. Jesus Christ. So, and it seems like the level of violence when it comes to uh, political disagreements, when it comes to lashing out over, you know, the rules living in a civilized society where we pay attention to the plight of our neighbors and we don't, you know, typically go a hundred miles an hour in a 25 mile an hour zone. Uh, We don't punch out people who we disagree with, or we don't punch out people over a joke, which was a shitty joke, by the way, GI Jane reference, 25 years old, a bald woman joke is just so hackneyed and way beyond the pale of, what we even talk about in this country anymore. So uh, yeah, it wasn't funny. That all that being funny. said, I, I hope I hope we can fix yeah. this. I hope we can pull ourselves from the brink because it's not moving in the right direction, right? It's it's getting increasingly violent instead of less violent. So there you go. Yeah, I think that that that's a really uh, I really enjoyed your your essay on that as well um, this week, Bob, because I think it, it, you know we are having a kind of collective breakdown here, right? Um, and I also think, um, you know, we'll talk about this more in the members stuff, but I think that, you know, the whole thing with Russia and Ukraine as well has like, it's sort of a reminder that we are always very close to um, our archaic past when you could just, if you want something, you go and take it. You, there are no rules. Yeah. There is no law. It's just might. It's just force works, mm. force is how you get how you get things resolved, right? And like that's not good. Um, and I think the whole war in Ukraine is just a, this sort of reminder that, oh yeah, the world is like it isn't this peaceful, stable place where rules matter and you know being decent is you know is, is paramount. It's like yeah, there's the rule of the flipping jungle, right? It's like. And that's mm-hmm. what Putin is reminding everybody. He's reminding us that that world still exists and that world can come back. Like it, most of human history is mm-hmm. not, it's, it's not a happy one, right? Most of human history is your neighbor wants to take something from you. So they come in and kill everyone. And that's it. That's what, that's what happens. It's only been, you know, recently post-World War II where we've had this sort of framework whereby like you don't do that you know you don't you don't just go and invade your neighbor because you want something or you don't like them you know um and Mm -hmm. i think that that type of behavior the sort of um just you know responding to a joke with physical force it's like hey you know this is not how we're supposed to do things like i teach my kid that i teach my four-year-old this you know like mm-hmm. a four-year-old yeah, yeah. 
knows this. Use your words. Yeah, you use your words. I'm sure there's very... I'm sure there's very little toxic masculinity in your household, Ben. Uh, I'm like a thousand percent sure of that. And, uh, you know, that's that's the, the sensible, rational, real thing to do is to av- avoid those traps that uh, I think, uh, you know, we've seen so many people fall into from, you know, Will Smith all the way to Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump and all points in between where there's an expectation of men to behave a certain way in certain situations that uh, no longer has a place in, uh, in our society. And, and that's absolutely a positive thing. The backlash against toxic masculinity is, is great. Despite what Bill Maher said, ironically, Bill Maher did a whole thing about toxic masculinity on his show two days before the Oscars. And uh, what he was doing was conflating regular old masculinity with the dark side of, of masculinity of there course. there is yes. a good side and there is a dark side just like the force of masculinity there's a, a good side and a dark side of just about anything and but in this yeah. case it's it's this idea that in order to defend the honor of our family we have to resort to violence and that is taught that is learned that is not what we do or what we should be doing um, you know, it's one of those situations where we, you know, uh, to, to, to protect your family, you don't need to throw down over a 25 year old movie reference. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, but yeah. I think Will Smith felt the need that he should. And f- there are myriad reasons as to why I think toxic masculinity is to one is one of them. But uh, but yeah. So, yeah. this is something that we need to push back against in our own households, for that matter. I, I think so. I mean, you know, look, I've talked about this on the podcast as well, that I did, you know, as a younger man and a teenager and a young man, I did get into, um, you know, t- too many physical confrontations. And that that I've over the years, I've come to realize that that is a kind of it's it's this it is toxic masculinity. And if you know, every time that that would happen, I never picked a fight with anybody, but I was not going to not fight. You know, I was always like, mm. you know, if somebody wanted to, like I was up for it. Um, and, and, but I remember every single time I got in the confrontation, I'd feel this elation afterwards of like, yeah, I showed that, that guy or, you know, I did what I had to do. And then I would be, I would feel shame for weeks, weeks and weeks and weeks of shame that yeah. about what about how how I had lost my call and I had resorted to uh you know um to to physical confrontation to physical violence to resolve something that didn't need to be resolved in that way and every I, I can't think of a single situation even like and I would say that in 99% of the the altercations that I got into I was from a legal point of view entirely justified in what I did entirely justified but it didn't make it me feel any better I, I you know if i'm being honest it never made me feel better knowing that yes legally i was right within the right to defend myself but i i used violence and that was like it's not it's never a good it's never good it like it just leads to more violence that's it that's the only thing that violence does it leads to more violence yeah you know and like what has that done to chris rock yeah, as well is- you know like yeah. Well, we learn this. We learn this behavior. Uh, 
I mean, we're taught, certainly men of my generation, Gen X, were taught that if we don't behave in a certain way, we're less masculine, we're effete, we're uh, wimps at the very mildest of those uh, of those descriptions. Wimps is probably the most mild. Uh, and I've experienced that through, you know, I mean, I've heard comments about my interests going back to when I was a child and, and why something is masculine or not. And, you know, if it's not masculine, we shouldn't be interested in it, whether we are or not. We're just told that we shouldn't be. That's all part of it. And uh, and, and that kind of lashing out behavior, the the, the drive to uh, uh, want to hurt someone because they've hurt us. But you know, in a physical sense, physical retribution, that's absolutely learned. It, but but at the same time, there is a biological compunction for it, too. I mean, I don't want to discount the role of testosterone in all of this. And that does play a role. But I think uh, in a rational, reasonable society, we do what we can to control our impulses. If we acted on all of our innate, intrinsic, genetic, physical impulses, uh, there would be no democracy. We'd have nothing but totalitarianism and constant wars. Uh, so thank God some people found the uh, ability to restrain themselves and let cooler heads prevail. And that's, I think, the, I think the call to move forward as a society is cooler heads find a way to elevate the people who are rational and competent and prepared to, you know, let all of the diplomatic things play out, let negotiations play out, whether we're talking about a domestic piece of legislation, a disagreement over uh, societal norms or international relations in the case of uh, warfare with U Ukraine and so on and Russia. So these are all, I think, ideas that we need to reacquaint ourselves as a society. Unfortunately, what we're seeing now in a political sense is an entire political party, an entire political movement saying, you know what, it's 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 right to beat someone because they wronged you. It's masculine. I mean, it's alpha to behave like Donald Trump or one of these people freaking their shit on an airplane because they have to wear a fucking mask in order to prevent a deadly pandemic. And so, in a sense, it's being encouraged and, and it's taken on this political, uh, uh, it's been shoved through our, our political discourse in this country, and it's, uh, it's actually exacerbating the problem. It's giving people the idea that they're entitled to behave this way. It's okay, you know, and they're encouraged. You got to go and own the libs. I mean, the, the militia, these cosplaying militia groups, the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys and the Oath Keepers and all these guys, they're all, you know, proudly waving that toxic masculinity flag. That's what they do. And the Republican Party is hesitant to reel them in. And so they're encouraged. And we see more and more of this as, uh, as time goes on. Hopefully, uh, some uh, of the legal system, particularly the Department of Justice, will uh, pull back the reins a little bit in terms of their activity. But the ideas of it are still going to carry on. You saw it all week on Fox News Channel uh, where... And in fact, uh, a majority of Americans, it's a slim majority, but a majority of Americans were all in support of, uh, of, of Will Smith assaulting Chris Rock on stage. And, and that's well, why I, I mean, find it so sad. That's yeah, why I find it so depressing. Mm -hmm. 
Well, you you got to look at it from from the the view of uh, the the Republicans when it comes to um, political violence and uh, degenerating uh, democracy. Democracy doesn't work for them anymore. If you're a white man in America, democracy. If you're a white man in America who feels entitled to privilege and power, democracy doesn't work for you anymore. Mm-hmm. Democracy doesn't confer to you privilege and power automatically. You actually have to work for it where you've never had to work for it before. Before, you could just go out there, I'm a white man. Poof, I'm elected. Now you have to go out to say, I'm a white man. You should elect me over these women and these people of color. And I'm, you should, I, I deserve to be elected more than they do. And that doesn't work as much as, it, um, as frequently as it used to. And that's a problem <clears throat> as far as they're concerned. That's, that's, that's no good. You know, democracy says the people who have more votes win. And there's more people who are not white men at this point, And they can't have that. So if that's going to be the case, then democracy's just got to go. From their point of view, that's just common sense. And if you have to use violence to do it, well, you know, that's how it is. Mm-hmm. That's why they're so in love with Russia. Russia is all about, you know, just completely fixing the vote and taking what they want. That's why they're all so in love with them. It's really yeah, and I th- vexing you know, to watch. <laughs> It, it it is you know and I, and I think that that's why you know look a lot of these other issues this is why i think like everyone's kind of talking about this whole will smith thing is because of just how it's like a microcosm of what's going on there's so many kind of layers to to to, <laughs> to to that confrontation we're gonna move on to um our good friend uh clarence thomas and his insane maga wife uh so this is quite the quite the scandal right now um this is okay i'm gonna just read this from npr so supreme court justice clarence thomas and his wife Ginny find themselves increasingly in the eye of an ethics storm over her repeated texts urging then white house chief of staff mark meadows to take steps to overturn the 2020 presidential election results those texts have raised questions about what justice thomas knew about his wife's activities and when he knew it Each day seems to bring another piece of bad news for the couple from reports that the House January 6th committee intends to invite Jeannie Thomas to testify to Monday's decision by a federal judge in California finding that it's, quote, more likely than not that former President Donald Trump violated the law and, quote, corruptly attempted to obstruct Congress in his attempts to overturn the 2020 election. Oh, yes, this is very juicy indeed. Very, very juicy indeed. Uh, and this this is like a huge sort of can of worms that's being spilt open right now. Uh, do you think this goes anywhere? Like, wh- where does this, you know, can anything happen here? I think, you know, personally, Thomas no, should resign. Absolutely nowhere. Clear. I don't think this goes absolutely nowhere. <laughs> this this isn't going to do anything. This is going to do absolutely nothing whatsoever. It'll it'll undermine the legitimacy of the Supreme Court a little. But it won't go anywhere. Thomas will not recuse himself from any cases. He won't resign. He won't be impeached. He definitely won't be removed. And it'll just go on and the press will just go, eh, we're bored with this story and move on. The same press that blew a hissy fit over Hillary's emails for 18 months is going to just kind of move on from this 
as soon as they can because there's no accountability for Republicans when they do this stuff. I mean, this is the highest court on the land. The wife of a Supreme Court justice was openly advocating for the overthrow of the United States government, talking about it with her husband, who would theoretically weigh in on a case to overturn, uh, overthrow the government of the United States, and absolutely nothing's going to be done about it. Nothing. Not a fucking thing. And we're all just going to go, meh, whatever, and just move on from it. I, I can't see anything happening about this whatsoever. Nothing. It, meanwhile, meanwhile, let me, let me, let, I just have to remind everybody, like a month and a half ago, the press was losing its shit because they thought that Sonia Sotomayor was having lunch with some Democrats. They lost their goddamn minds over this. It wasn't even her. It was someone who vaguely resembled her because, you know, all Latinos look alike. And they lost their minds about this. They are not losing their minds in the same way over this. They're just kind of like, well, it's a problem. But really, is it? Is there anything we can do about it? Eh. But they really, really got hostile about the thing with Soda Sonia Sotomayor. So that should tell you something about where we are and what's going to happen here, which is nothing. But go ahead. Let, let, me, let, let me hear your opinion on it. I'm super curious to see what you think is going to happen. So, yeah, I, I, uh, look, I think – Go, sorry, go ahead, Bob. Well, I was just going to say, uh, we may find, some, find something out based on this giant seven-and-a-half-hour gap in the uh, White House call logs. Because uh, I, I wonder if some of those calls were, or at least one of those calls, was with Virginia Thomas, considering how Donald Trump's plan was to take this thing to the Supreme Court. So who knows? I mean, he may not have talked to Virginia Thomas at all during that gap. I don't know. But we shouldn't give Donald Trump the benefit of the doubt on anything. So we need to assume that uh, whatever we're considering as a possibility here, uh, whether it's a connection to Virginia Thomas or some other thing happening in that seven and a half hour gap, whether it's communicating with the Proud Boys or what, uh, that it, it actually happened until it's proven otherwise. I think that's the most rational approach to dealing with anything involving Donald Trump. I think you assume the worst and then uh, retreat from there if need be uh, as the facts come in. But right now, there's no reason to believe that Donald Trump was, oh, it's just, just you know, oh, someone forgot to take notes. Well, I don't know. Nothing. We were just making calls to people like we normally do. Uh, I don't think we're going to find that out. <laughs> they, they wouldn't be covering it up if, if that was the case. And it's very obviously the case that this is a, a, a gigantic cover up during one of the most uh, awful moments in American history. Well, Mag Maggie Haberman already has uh, a another possible explanation for the gap in phone records on January 6th is the absence that day of Trump's main outer Oval Office assistant. assistant. She was not in. So she's already coming up with reasons why there is a gap. Because Maggie Haberman's really good at giving reasons why she's not going to bother reporting about stuff Trump does. 
So they're what already are we talking up excuses. That's an insane excuse. Yes, it is. It's, it's because an absolutely you know, insane excuse. I, I'm sick and tired of the press treating the Donald Trump administration as if it was somehow like remedial politics. Like, okay, we're we'll just fi- we're still figuring it out. We're new. We don't know what we're doing. It's we're not DC insiders, so I don't know how to do this White House business. There's so always, sick and fucking there's always tired an excuse. Of that. Always know? a presumption of innocence. Yeah, always. They're, they're very clearly engaging in a cover-up and to say, "Oh, they just forgot. There wasn't a person there to write it down." It's the fucking White House. <laughs> Jesus there Christ! Was, there like, was suddenly, oh, we're, we're so understaffed here at the White House. Yeah, we can't. Was, you know, <laughs> there was blood all over the Oval Office, but the yeah. janitor wasn't in that day, so that might be a reason. I mean, come on, man. Seriously, that's what you're going to come up with. The assistant wasn't there that day, and that's what – get the fuck out of here. They knew exactly what they are doing. It stopped right when it started. The the, the notes stopped. They stopped taking uh, notes on the call right when the riot started. Getting Clarence Thomas off the Supreme Court, given the fact that Republicans have rigged the Supreme Court, right, um, you know, is there a way to get this dude off the court? Because of this, how how much evidence do we need? I mean, look, if this was a Democrat, if this was a Democrat, they'd be gone already. They'd be the the, the mm-hmm. any Supreme Court justice uh, with any sort of ties to someone trying to overthrow um, democracy in America, overthrow the government, overturn an election would be would be gone. It would be, it would be finished. So we know that for a fact, right? And we know for a fact that Clarence Thomas is going to probably be able to hold on. Or he, if he does hold on, it will be because conservatives don't give a shit. They don't care at all. But is there a way? Can, can you see any scenario where they could go for, to impeach him? There will be there would be enough to to move uh, for no, Thomas to because be even like, no. if they impeached him, he would never be convicted. He would never. The, yeah. the Senate would never remove him. And even if they got sixty Repub- uh, sixty Democrats, if the Democrats got a super majority. Joe Manchin wouldn't do it. No, yeah. They would have it's to get 60 plus happen. one. Yeah. If, if Clarence 60, Thomas goes, it's because... Right? Yeah, they would need 61 because Joe Manchin, I guarantee, would find some reason not to do it. It's nuts, isn't it? Yeah, if Clarence it's Thomas nuts. ends up resigning or, or leaving the court, it's going to be because the rest of the Supreme Court asked him to. I mean, I think that's the And even the only then, I don't think he would here. do it because the more yeah. corrupt he is the happier Republicans yeah, will be. There's no rule that says he has to leave unless they invoke something, unless they they find something. But, I mean, it, it, unless they do, they just say, well, what? You're talking about something my wife did? How, what does that apply to me? But, I mean, he is very much uh, uh, damaging the court. He's damaging the integrity oh, yeah. of the Supreme Court. I mean, we're talking about basically one-third of the federal government here. <laughs> I mean, not including all the uh, district and appellate judges, but I mean, the Supreme Court is the top of the heap. And uh, and Clarence Thomas is uh, like, well, the activities of his wife are starting to taint the court even worse than it already was. You know what I mean? Right. But they don't care at this point. Just the rulings that they're handing down, the abuse of the shadow docket and the way they're just massacring the Voting Rights Act at this point. I mean, they're... They're, they came up with a rule where they won't change voting regulations too close to an election if it harms Republicans. And then they immediately reversed that and said, well, it's close enough to an election where it would help Democrats if we don't switch these rules. So we're going to switch the rules. They don't care. They don't care anymore. 
This is just, we're going to do whatever it takes to help Republicans in elections. Who gives a shit? Who's going to stop us? No, they know. They have a supermajority. Kennedy is just completely, like, neutralized at this point. Uh, they, they don't care. They've made it very, very clear that precedent doesn't matter to them. What the, the, the legitimacy of the court doesn't matter to them. The appearances don't matter to them. Constitution doesn't matter to them. They're ruling the way they need to rule to fulfill their agenda, which is get a pro- Republicans elected, keep them in office, and make sure Democrats cannot win future elections. That's what they're doing. They're just flip flopping back and forth. Mm-hmm. They don't have no consistency whatsoever in their in their rulings. That's why they keep using the shadow docket because that means they don't have to explain what they're doing. They just said, yeah, yeah, no, do that, and we don't have to tell you why. We said so, and that's the end of it. Who's going to hold us accountable? Nobody. That's what they're doing. So that, that Tom, Clarence Thomas doesn't give a shit mm-hmm. because he knows the rest of them don't give a shit, so he can do whatever he wants. Can't you just give me some good news? Can't you just say, "I yeah, no, nothing. <laughs> he, he's old. Nothing. He's nothing. old. Yeah, he's old. How old is old? He's old, and he's that. kind of fat. All right, next we have on the agenda is we're going to be talking about Russia's dramatic about turn in Ukraine. So I don't know. <laughs> this was pretty stunning, right? This was pretty stunning. And to be expected, um, I think it could have gone either one of two ways, right? Putin could have either used nukes or um, he could have completely changed the objectives of uh the war in Ukraine. So now he's saying, actually, we're just going to secure the Donbass region and uh, operations have been such a success that we're going to, we, we're shifting strategies and we're not actually going to try and take Kiev. Um, hold on. So wait, then, hold on. Ben, did you see yeah. what Greenwald said about this? That he's, that was what he always said he was going to do and that he was never oh. going to invade the entire country and try and take it over. I swear to God, it was like, it was like 1984. We've always been at war with East Asia. It was like, holy shit you've got to be kidding me he's actually trying to do this but he was totally serious and he was calling it western propaganda that rush that saying that russia was trying to invade the country and take it over it's all western propaganda you've got to love glenn greenwald right i mean it was so blatant that the that's exactly what they were trying to do pulverize kiev take it over install a puppet regime i mean Um, seriously the man talks about how ukraine's not a real country right (laughs) but of course you know it's Western propaganda. He really went there. But they they, they have screwed this up. I mean, this is one of the worst military excursions, I think, in modern history. Like This, this is going to go down gone... in history with Hannibal. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the... It, it, it just, it's been a complete and utter failure. And the Russians have now... They're pulling out of Kiev because they can't... Like, the Ukrainians have, are, have kicked their asses, like... That's the only way that you can really describe this now. That that the Ukrainians have won. They've won. They Russia picked a fight and they lost. And now they're they're changing the the conflict. They're saying, well, actually, you know, we only want, we're 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 limiting our limiting our objectives to Donbass. We want, you know, which is you know, look. I'm happy that this is happening. I'm happy that the Russians are not trying to escalate this by using chemical weapons or nukes. At least, like that. That's what we can tell thus far. Right, it appears clear that Putin, at least someone in the Kremlin, understands that they they can't win this. You know, um, did you see that the Ukrainians um, 
attacked a, a spot inside Russia. Oh yeah, clearly. They, well, I, I mean, that, that's, yeah, that's tw- what the Russians are saying, right? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say they probably did because that was a major fuel depot they needed for their troops. Hmm. And blowing up their own fuel depot doesn't sound like a pretty uh, doesn't sound like a very smart idea for a, a false flag operation. I wouldn't be surprised if the Russians were that they were so incompetent that they they <laughs> they blew it up themselves. <laughs> I mean, you've seen like they run, but didn't they run over one of their own generals? Um, like it, it, it's been one uh, one com- catastrophe, moving one catastrophe to, to the next. There's nothing that they they haven't done anything right. The Russians, with, with, when it comes to their invasion of Ukraine. Like there's very little that they that they've done right, so it wouldn't surprise me. But no, like that that story. So I want to wait for further information to come out uh, because that could well I be. I would a not false be surprised story. at all because if what I wouldn't be surprised real. at all because the Ukrainians have been kicking their asses. Yeah, but I mean, once that like that does concern me if the Ukrainians are attacking Russia inside their own territory. I mean, obviously they're justified. They're completely justified in, in doing that, but that would be. I'm hoping that doesn't escalate the matter, you know, the 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 situation more, because you know there is if the if the Russians are now, you know, with basically withdrawing troops from the major cities, then that is a, that is a, a very very positive sign, and that that's a sign that at least to me it seems like Putin is looking for an off ramp. He wants a way out of this, you know. He's looking to, um, you know, uh, yeah, well. He's definitely, uh, he's definitely having problems. All sorts of. Problems I don't know. They, they have to pull back. I've been sleeping easier this week. I've got to say, like I felt a lot calmer about this whole situation, uh, about the 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 war in 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 Ukraine, because you know, um, you're constantly looking at the, you know how far is Putin going to push this, and to hear that they are the Kremlin is now at least word is getting to him that hey. Hey, buddy, this isn't going well. We're running out of troops. We're losing. I heard resume estimates they're losing maybe a thousand troops a day, which is nuts. Um, you know that's not sustainable, and I think even Putin might might understand that. And I, I'm just happy that I'm just happy that that he's that Putin's considering an off ramp now. Like there is a possibility of an off ramp that doesn't require him just saying, "Well, I have to have the whole country," because mm-hmm. before there yes. wasn't. So now there is. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Um, again, speaking yeah. of Russia, Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi, <laughs> Tulsi Gabbard. So this is a story this week. But <laughs> Russian state TV panel called Tulsi Gabbard our girlfriend. Right. So this is, Which um, is so this condescending, is, but whatever. <laughs> it's so condescending, but it's also just it, it is. I mean, is you know sexist it's uh it's also kind of but also highly revealing about how the russian how the russian um the state feels about people like tulsi gabbard and tucker carlson this is a story from newsweek so russian state tv panel called tulsi gabbard our girlfriend former representative and democratic primary contender tulsi gabbard was described in friendly terms by those appearing on a russian state television show discussing president joe biden's response to the war in ukraine vladimir solit Solovyov, I hope I got that right, who hosts the show Vetcher, which means evening on Russia's Channel One, 
played a clip of her on Fox News giving her view of Biden's comments on Sunday in Warsaw that Vladimir Putin, quote, cannot stay in power. Newsweek was contacted, has contacted Gabbard for comment. She previously rejected accusations of making comments seen as favouring Russia. So uh, Gabbard told Fox News anchor Tucker Carlson on Monday that Biden's words showed US intent and Russian uh, and the Russian program, which is a bullhorn for Kremlin propaganda, played a part of her interview on its show on Wednesday. Solovyov told the panelists on his show that he was going to show a clip of Monday's interview with our girlfriend Tulsi. Uh, it's it's no. look so that there's a sort of a wider point here about how the alt left and alt right are responding to Joe Biden's comments about you know this guy cannot stay in power, which is clear, right? He clearly wasn't. This wasn't him outlining U.S. policy towards Russia, right? He was he was you know just riffing. Uh, yes, it was a gaffe, but it was also clearly just him saying like this guy can't stay in power. It's ridiculous. Like he's just invaded a sovereign nation and he's destroying his own economy and he's a brutal dictator. Like he can't stay in power. It doesn't have to be a stated US policy to get, and it isn't. We know that it, we we know for a fact that this is not the Biden administration's policy towards Russia for regime change. They are not trying to take Vladimir Putin out. They tried to stop him from invading Ukraine and they're now punishing for it. Right, that's hmm. that's it. So the alt left and the alt right are busy. Like Tulsi Gabbard's going out. You know, she she has this narrative that the Biden administration secretly wants war with Russia. That it's the, that it's America's fault. That it's Biden's fault. That it's NATO's fault. Uh, that Russia invaded Ukraine, and this could have all been avoided had we given Putin what he wanted. Because um, appeasement always works. Yeah, appeasement always right. Exactly right. So um, there's no history of it not working. I mean, yeah. Come on. So look, there's also a clip at the, at, on, on this Russian show, right? So the clip ended. One of the panelists, who was Vitaly Tredyakov, uh, joked amid the crosstalk. He said, "Is she some sort of Russian agent?" And and Solovyov uh, said, "Yes." Um, <laughs> it was joking, right? But this is this is basically they are they're useful idiots. Like I don't think Tulsi Gabbard is being paid by the Kremlin. I don't think it's that overt, right? But she is a useful idiot. And it's like Donald Trump. Do I think Donald Trump is, you know, does the Kremlin have something on Donald Trump? Maybe. Are uh, they know, paying I'm Donald fully Trump convinced that money? Hillary Clinton what? absolutely kept, uh, I, I think Hillary Clinton absolutely kept her from making a third party run by saying out loud that she was going to make a third party run. <laughs> that, that, she was, uh, that she was being groomed for a third party run. And by saying oh, it out loud, good. It kept her yeah. from doing it because it would have been too obvious that she, when she did it, because yeah. I think she was preparing so, to, because they they wanted another they wanted another Jill Stein. Yeah, no, I think Hillary Clinton absolutely yeah. um, absolutely nailed her, <laughs> uh, but it is funny, you know. Again, I I don't think that she's being paid by the Kremlin, but I, I don't think it works like that. I think it's much more it's much more subtle, you know. I think that the um, oh yeah, the it doesn't that, have to be direct payments, but. Yeah, that it benefits her, right? It benefits her career um, by doing this, and she'll probably, you know, she gets um, assist. How should we we call it? Assistance 
by um, uh, Russian trolls. But will they they will assist Tulsi Gabbard in her career? You know, it was the entire point of the RT network, which was essentially to to um, magnify the voices of the far left and far right. So I think that you know, and they did a very good job of of um, giving attention to these fringe figures. Uh, and making them kind of relevant. And that's how I think Tulsi Gabbard will benefit from from, from this. Both sides. Uh, Bob, who do you have today for, for our both sides segment? Okay, so I'm going with Donald Trump. <laughs> the uh, It seems easy to do it, but it's another example came down uh, this week where uh, for, for the second time, you know, it may not even be the second time, the second time that we know of, Donald Trump asked Russia for help with something. He asked uh, Putin to release uh, information regarding Hunter Biden's uh, dealings with Eastern European oligarchs. But basically, Putin, if you're listening, help me out here. (laughs) Help us to defeat our political enemy, Joe Biden. And (laughs) asking favors. My God, Donald Trump asking another favor of Vladimir Putin out in the open, on television, not disguising it at all, and people are still going, eh, I think that Russia thing was a hoax. It's uh, madness. And uh, on top of that, the timing of it couldn't have been worse given what's going on in Ukraine. So you got a guy committing uh, human atrocities in Ukraine, uh, a completely ridiculous war, snowing his entire population of citizens with you know, obvious propaganda, and disrupting the world order and donald trump's asking this guy for a favor (laughs) what first of all what is vladimir putin getting in return for those favors if he is uh listening to them at all and that's the big question what's the uh once again what's the quid pro quo in all of this and uh my, my fear is always that because of the attention that's focused on the insurrection rightfully so we're also then missing out on, you know, continuing to pursue this Trump-Russia connection, which very obviously exists, but which was uh, uh, completely cock-blocked by uh, Bill Barr and that letter uh, about the Mueller report. Ever since that day, uh, the press has been terrified to continue to cover this story. But, you know, here we are once again, Donald Trump asking, uh, you know, an enemy for help with his politics. And you do not see that on the Democratic side. I don't know where that is happening at all. If if it has ever happened, Democrats ask, you know, it's like uh, FDR asking Hitler for help. You know, They don't even ask our allies. Yeah. Never mind our enemies. They don't even ask our allies to do that sort of thing. Yep, yep. So that's- Like, can uh, you imagine Biden asking Germany to dig up dirt on Trump. Right, right. It, it would just never happen. And if it did, he would be annihilated in the press for doing it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there that you go. The that's end. my uh, both sides thing. And we're oh, never going to... Yeah, that's... Uh, we're never going to... You're, you're never going to see a Democrat. Certainly not a Democrat at Donald Trump's level of visibility doing this kind of crap. And yet we're so accustomed to it now, it just kind of whizzes on by as part of the fire hose of news every day, and we hardly ever pay attention to it. But it's important to call this shit out because it's uh, awful and should disqualify Donald Trump from being taken seriously about anything. But people are still going to take him seriously, so we have to uh, continue to call attention to it. 
Right, Justin, you've your one this week as well. I I know about this one. This is uh, uh, I've got a double I've got a double header this week. Uh, this one touches on uh two two buttons for me. This is anti-Semitism and anti-science. So yeah, this one really set me off on the whole thing. Uh, we got Laura Logan, who is a former correspondent for CBS. She works for Fox News now. And um, she went on a podcast, right-wing podcast, called And We Know, because of course they do. And um, she went on this whole thing about how the theory of evolution is actually a hoax by the Rothschilds. I swear to God she actually said this. So here's the quote. Does anyone know who employed Darwin, where Darwinism comes from? Look it up. The Rothschilds. It goes back to 10 Downing Street, the same people who employed Darwin and his theory of evolution and so on and so on. I'm not saying that none of it is true. I'm just saying Darwin was hired by someone to come up with a theory based on evidence. Okay, fine. Now, first, she can kiss my ass with the whole anti-Semitism thing, right? If you don't know who the Rothschilds are, they're, they're like the George Soros and the Bill Gates, like before George Soros and Bill Gates. The Rothschilds are the center of almost every anti-Semitic conspiracy on the far right going back decades, right? So like when they say the Jews are controlling the global blah, 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 they're talking about the Rothschilds, okay? So that's been going back longer than I've been alive. And then I'm a huge nerd. Like I'm a massive nerd. I've been a science nerd since I was like old enough to watch Star Trek and go, ooh, science. So I, even before I started writing and really getting to politics, I've been arguing with people about evolution for years. And I hate creationists because they always have these stupidest arguments. And I've spent literally days and days and days arguing with them and coming up with all their stupid little arguments and ripping them to little shreds because they're all stupid. So the fact that I'm still hearing this crap from adults with college educations makes me want to cry. And they're always right-wing lunatics. So, okay, so my both sides for today is uh, Fox News insane person Janine Pirro. Um, so Janine Pirro, of course, took the whole Will Smith, uh, the Will Smith-Chris Rock debacle and turned it into uh, a screen against black people, of course. Um, although she didn't say, you know, she she... When right-wing people do this, they don't say the N-word. Like, Bob, you did a whole um, piece about this uh, last week about Katanji Brown-Jackson, about how that they, how the Republicans use, you know, these dog whistles uh, to insult black people without actually saying the word. But Janine Pirro did it this, this week. And she so she said, the Oscars are not the hood in response to Will Smith hitting Chris Rock during the annual award show during Sunday night. Um, so this was during a segment on Fox News show The Five on Monday, and um, the, Pira was asked what she thought about the confrontation. She said, I think that the Oscars are not the hood. I think it's not a bar, uh, Pira said. I don't think you march up on stage because a guy makes a joke on your wife. So this is, I think, what's on the mind of most like MAGA people, right? Most hardcore Republicans, is that when they see... Like, I didn't see that. When I saw um, Will Smith hit Chris Rock... You know, this to me has nothing to do with race. This has to me to do with with a a, a very damaged narcissistic celebrity. Yeah, that even occurred to me. 
hitting another celebrity. Yeah, right, exactly. Like, only a racist would think this. Only a racist would 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 start making this about being black, right? I, I genuinely don't understand why this has to be about Will Smith being black at all. And Janine Pirro just said what this is, you know, uh, exactly what, how um, uh, white Republicans, how MAGA, the MAGA crowd how they view everything right that that um you know if black people fight it's because of their hood it's because they it's because they're ghetto right but then when white people fight what does that mean you know what what is what what is that right is that like how do they explain that right it's just disgusting anyway that's my both sides for this week um thank you so much everybody for listening uh, we really appreciate it we really appreciate your support in the members only podcast i'm going to be doing my very first solo cast going more in depth into the will smith chris rock train wreck uh, specifically i'll be discussing attempts by the political fringes to inject race into the public debate why i think this is a terrible idea and what i think the sad spectacle really means for society uh, this was actually quite a personal uh, solo cast uh, given I'm a big fan of Will Smith and Chris Rock. So I do hope you'll tune in. All right. You guys have a great week. We'll see you later.